Many of you guys have read this book that's been on the book table from the very beginning, The Autobiography of George Mueller. We have a handful that have read it. I commend it to you. Um, if you will read it, I think it will, if it doesn't radically change your prayer life, it will uh, at least challenge it. And uh, this man, what God did through this man, uh, that's how I want to start tonight. Um, George Mueller, God, through George Mueller, um, uh, housed and fed and clothed and educated and evangelized over 10,000 orphans in his lifetime. And uh, as some of you know, uh, Mueller didn't fundraise. He didn't ask people for money. He just asked God. And through his prayers, God provided for these 10,000 orphans. It's an, an incredible story. I challenge you to read the book. It's a great book. It fundamentally changed my life uh, of, of prayer and, and faith. Um, but Mueller writes this in his journal. December 10th, 1835, he says this. One sister has... Um, been a great source of blessing to me as she gave generously, although she had little. Now, this woman he's talking about, she was a seamstress. She earned only a few shillings a week. Um, her, her father had died and left her 400 pounds, which was a significant sum of money in the 19th century. She paid off her, her father's debts. Uh, she gave 100 pounds to her mother, and she gave uh, 100 pounds to George Mueller, for the work of the orphanage. Mueller writes, Before accepting the money, I had a long conversation with her. I needed to know her motives and whether she might have given the money emotionally without having counted the cost. He continues, I had not conversed long with this beloved sister before I found out that she was a quiet, calm, considerate follower of the Lord Jesus Christ. She desired, in spite of what human reasoning might say, to act according to the words of our Lord. Lay not up for yourselves treasures upon the earth, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven. Mueller still pressed this woman, okay? He says, you're old, you're poor. You might need this money. He kept pressing her. Finally, she said this, My Lord Jesus gave His last drop of blood for me. Should I not give Him the hundred pounds? I like the way Jesus talks about it in Luke chapter 12 unfailing treasures in heaven. That's obviously what this woman understood. She had counted the cost and she sacrificially gave although she lived at subsistence level. She believed what Jesus said about those unfailing treasures in heaven. She believed what Paul said in the, in the text I read earlier about sowing bountifully and reaping bountifully. You know, she actually believed what God said and she acted on it. Isn't that our job description, Christian friend? It wasn't about law giving. It wasn't about doctrine. It wasn't about religion. She loved Jesus. And she worshipped Him with this gift. That's the backdrop I want to set for tonight's message. Um, and as I, I shared with you earlier, um, this message tonight is driven by last week's message. Um, I got some really good questions from... A number of you, and anytime I get that many questions, I realize God's not finished teaching yet. And uh, so I knew that the Lord wanted me to, to follow up on this. Um, remember Paul, when he closed out the book of Philippians, he was talking about how sacrificial they were and how they supported him. And we looked at that text where Paul talks about, over in Corinthians, where he talks about those crazy Macedonians 
who gave beyond their ability, right? And who entreated uh, Paul and begged Paul that they may give money to the relief of the saints beyond their ability. What an awesome thing. So the Lord's led me to expand on last week's sermon. And when it comes to giving, you can probably guess what the most frequently asked question is that I get as a pastor. Can anyone get guess how much? How much? How much am I supposed to give? Well, guess what? God doesn't tell us exactly how much to give. God just says, give as much as you dare. Give as big as your faith is. Give as big as your love is. Give as big as your worship is. This is basically the Old Testament and New Testament answer. The question I get the most uh, specifically is about the tithe. And the tithe, as some of you know, is simply the first tenth of your income to be brought into the house of the Lord. I can still vividly remember. I can remember like it was yesterday. Uh, We'd only been in Milan about 90 days. It was the first question about tithing I'd ever received as the pastor of this church. An American businessman came up to me and he said, Jim, tell me what you believe about tithing. And so I, I went into my little dissertation. I kept it as short as I could. He goes, well, I like that. I believe what you said. And he handed me a check for 20000 U.S. dollars, right? And this was really cool. I mean, anytime somebody hands you a check for 20000 U.S. dollars, really. But the church, you know, Karen and I came on faith. Uh, yeah, there was no guaranteed salary here. There was, no, there was very little money here. And just, boom, 90 days, God pumps in, uh, pumps in twenty grand. Well, about... Uh, two or three months later, this guy came up to me again and he handed me another $10,000. And, and, uh, and not only that, he was an aggressive monthly giver. And it was like the Lord was saying through this one man. I mean, uh, essentially and principally in the early, uh, the early months, the Lord provided for this church through one man. You know, it just takes one man. It just takes one person to believe and, and obey and act, right? And it was an awesome thing. It was an awesome thing. It was a great blessing to us. It was a great blessing to us. You know, it was like we talked about last week. It was like Mary, you know, breaking the vial of costly perfume over the head of Jesus worth one year's wages. Remember, some of you who were here last week, we talked about Edmund. Edmund sold his horse. He lived in Haiti. Sold his horse so he could give a love offering to God. But he couldn't come to church because he didn't have a proper shirt. I mean, these great examples of men and women in love with God so much. In love so much. So a lot of the questions I got last week, most of them about tithing, I knew the Lord wanted me to speak about this issue. So what does the Bible teach about giving? Is it about tithing? What does the Bible say to the Christian about giving? Is the New Testament Christian called to Give a tithe to the Lord, which is uh, the first tenth of your income. What does God say to Israel in the Old Testament? What does God say to the church in the New Testament? Is it the same? Or is it different? So I'm going to probably teach more tonight than preach. Okay? I'm just going to try to give you what the Bible says about these things. Alright? So I'm probably going to be teaching more than preaching. I thought the, the first thing we should talk about is money in general. What does the Bible say about money in general? It seemed wise to look at 
uh, at this first. And I, we talked about it last week. Everything belongs to who? God. It's all He is, right? It's not yours. We talked about it last week. You're a steward of everything you have. It belongs to Him. It is not yours. I, I was reading Alcorn this week, Randy Alcorn, that great uh, theologian, preacher, author in the States. He says, the problem is when you start to think that it is yours, he says, you're going down the wrong path. That's a huge problem for a New Testament Christian to start to think and respond like it is He is, like He owns it. Psalm 24.1, The earth is the Lord's and all it contains. Psalm 50.12, The world is mine, says the Lord, and all it contains. Psalmist says in 104.24, The earth is full of your possessions. It's not yours, it's God's. Man, if you can get that straight, that's really the foundational principle of biblical giving. It's not yours, it's on loan, and you're a steward, and you'll give an account to God. For all the resources He's given to you during your lifetime, you will give an accounting to the Lord. The second thing I want to say about money is it's, it's, it's amoral. It's, it's neutral. Money's not good or bad in itself. What does the Scripture say? 1 Timothy 6.10 It's the love of money that is at the root of all sorts of evil. It's not wrong to have money. It's wrong to love money. And we learn from other places in the Bible it's, it's really wrong to hoard money. We learn other places in the Bible it's really wrong to, to lavishly spend it upon yourself. These are the things the Bible teaches us about money. The third thing I want to say, God has given us the ability to acquire and the right to possess wealth. Deuteronomy 8.18, The Lord your God has given you power to make wealth. Not only is everything we have His, He has given us the ability to acquire everything we have. Paul sums it up pretty well, 1 Corinthians 4.7, For what do you have that you did not receive? It is all a gracious gift from the Lord. John MacArthur says it well, God is the sole proprietor of everything you have. <laughs> God is the sole proprietor of everything that you own. Beloved, I believe that is the biblical mindset. We are merely stewards. And I was reading George Mueller just this last week, and he was talking about how we should have some urgency about this stewardship. We need to have some urgency about it. For how many more days do you have to be a good steward? Of course, he's talking about the whole vapors upon the earth thing. How many more days will you have to be a good steward? So you can give a good report to the Master when you stand before Him. We don't know how many more days we have. So he says, we should have some sense of urgency about being a steward that pleases the Lord. That pleases and honors God. I like that. We should have some sense of urgency about it. I told you last week, we're just God's delivery boy. <laughs> we're God's FedEx guy, right? As Alcorn talks about. The Lord lets us name our overhead. He gives us resources. We name our overhead to pro provide for our family, right? But the rest goes to the need. We're just supposed to deliver the package to the church and in, uh, in the world as the Lord leads. I heard one preacher say one time, if you managed your employer's money like you do God's money, would you still have a job? I thought that was pretty thought-provoking. Convicted me anyway. 
The fourth thing I want to say is the biblical principle for gaining money is to what? Play the lotto, right? No, that's not right. What's the biblical principle for gaining money? No, it's for gaining money. To work. Is that what you said? No, I said to give. Uh, to give. Well, the biblical principle to gain money is to labor. It's to work. God makes much of this in the New Testament. He causes people to work and also to work as what? Unto the Lord, not as pleasing men, knowing that we really work for God. It doesn't matter who your immediate boss is. You work for God, right? And you know that. And that's how you work every, every week, right? When you go to work. You realize you're working for the Lord, right? This is what God calls us to do. I know sometimes it's hard. <laughs> I know. I've been there. But this, the Lord says... Yeah, not, not to be a man pleaser, but to please the Lord. You're working for the Lord. God tells us to work to support our families. He says if anyone does not provide for his own household, he's denied the faith. He's worse than an unbeliever. 1 Timothy chapter 5, verse 8. God says if the able-bodied person will not work, then He says let him not eat. This is what God says. Men are called to work. God has ordained that men should work for their money and for their resources. So the Bible instructs the Christian uh, to do uh, two things with his money. Principally two things. There's only two things. Okay, this is really simple. Uh, we, the young adults, we talked about this uh, several weeks ago. There's really only two things that we're instructed to do uh, with our money as Christians. Who wants to tell me what they are? Okay, give. There's only one other thing. I've already mentioned it to you. What? Take care of your family. And assumed in taking care of your family is, and I'll talk more about this in a minute, is paying your taxes. But you take care of your family, you pay your taxes, and you give. There's, that's it. It's really simple. It's so simple. How could we have ever messed this up? How did so many of us get so confused? You know, how, how did that happen? Well, I know how it happens. We listen too much to the world and not enough to God. Many times. There's only two things to do. Provide for your family and give. That's it, beloved. That's it. That is all. The world tells us to do two other things with our money. What does the world tell us to do? Hard it. it and what else? Spend it. Spend it. Hoard it and spend it. You need something shinier, something newer, something cooler, something, you know, that doesn't make you look fat, um, whatever. You need something else. You need something. This is the, the mass uh, marketing media, right? You need something. And the other thing is, you're never going to be secure. You've got to hoard up. You've got to hoard up for everything. Your kids, so your kids can go to school, so you can retire. I mean, it's a never-ending message. You've got to buy it or you've got to hoard it. What I want to say to you, beloved, if you're new in the Christian faith, you have to unlearn everything you've learned about money. You have to unlearn it. Everything the world's taught you about money, you have to unlearn it. If you're going to please God. If you're going to please God in how you handle your money. Now, let me make a turn here and talk to you about what the Bible specifically says about tithing, I just want to say at the outset, I don't have anything against tithing. Uh, I've been a Christian for 28 years, and as soon as I was converted, I began to tithe. It was taught in my 
church tradition that the tithe was the thing. And so you had to tithe. You were a tither. You're supposed to tithe. Uh, yeah, it was like hammered into you all the time. Tithe, 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 tithe. So I've done it all my life. Uh, either tithe or been uh, beyond the tithe. I don't have anything against it. It's a great thing. It's a beautiful place to start. But I personally believe the Bible has called us to a deeper place, a freer place, uh, a more intimate place with the Lord. Actually, a loftier place. There are good men who believe that the New Testament teaches that uh, Christians uh, should tithe. John Piper believes this, although he's not dogmatic about it. There are many good men who believe that the Christian is called to at least bring in that first, that first tenth. Many good men believe that. I can see their logic, I just don't find it compelling. So my goal tonight is to simply try to lay out what the Scripture says about giving. So I'm going to do a brief survey, okay? From Genesis all the way through the, the church age. Just a brief survey, survey from creation to Moses, from Moses to Jesus, from Jesus into the church age. I'm going to talk about what the Bible says about giving. The first, uh, uh, the first offering we see is in Genesis chapter 4, Cain and Abel. They just give a free will offering. There's no command that we can see. Genesis 8, Noah makes an offering to the Lord. Again, no command, just a free will offering. Genesis 12, Abraham builds an altar to God. Again, we, don't, we see no command. We just see a free will offering. Genesis 14, uh, the word uh, tithe appears for the first time. Many of you know, that's when Abraham uh, tithed the spoils of battle to the uh, priestly king of Salem, Melchizedek. That's the first time that we see the word tithe in the Bible. Genesis 28, we see Jacob trying to do a deal with God. He says, I'll tithe if you'll do this. Right? Obviously not a high point in Jacob's experience. But seemingly the tithe was universal in the, in the Near East even for the pagan peoples, to give that first tenth to their deity. But as yet, Scripture has been silent on it as far as a command from the Lord. Secondly, from Moses to Jesus Christ, there are two aspects, two aspects to um, the giving under Moses. Required and free will. Required and free will. Some of you know, how many, how many tithes did the Jews pay? Anybody know? At least three. Okay? At least three. Leviticus 27.30, they brought the first tenth to the Lord. This was to support the priesthood. Deuteronomy 14.22, they brought the second tithe to support the ceremonies and the festivals. Uh, Deuteronomy 14.28, they brought in a third, uh, a third tithe every third year um, to uh, be kind of like the welfare program to take care of orphans and widows and the foreigner. There were other things the Jews had to do. The Lord commanded a temple tax. Uh, there was a, a seven-year uh, land Sabbath. There was, uh, you know, don't glean or, or harvest the corner of your, of your field. So there were other kinds of uh, required giving on the Old Testament Jew. So when we talk about law giving or Old Testament tithing, once you understand, we're not talking about 10%. We're talking about in excess of 25%. Okay? That's what is meant in the Old Testament. This was required giving. It effectively was God's taxation of the people to support the theocracy. You know what a theocracy was, right? That's just God was head. 
God was the king of Israel, right? And the, the uh, required giving, the tithing, was to support the priesthood in the temple. So this is God's taxation plan to support the theocracy. And the Lord told the, the Jews in Malachi 3.8, said, you've been robbing me. You're not bringing in the tithe to the storehouse. Now, what about free will giving under Moses? The Lord called the people to bring in free will giving. I love Exodus 25, chapter 25 to chapter 36. We see this great account where the Lord uh, tells Moses to have the people to bring in an offering to construct and furnish the tabernacle. You may remember the, the great text uh, there. The Lord says, uh, Exodus 25, 2, Tell the sons of Israel to raise a contribution for me for, uh, from every man whose heart moves him. You shall raise my contribution. Exodus 35, Moses says to the people, verses 4 and 5, Whoever is willing of heart, let him bring a contribution to God. Exodus 35, 21, And everyone whose heart was stirred and everyone whose spirit was moved, uh, he came and brought a contribution. Beloved, this is Old Testament and New Testament giving. It's, it's free will giving. It's from the heart. It's from a moved heart. It's from a stirred heart. This is the kind of giving that uh, honors the Lord and delights the Lord. It's not law. It's not religion. It's not percentages. You don't need a calculator to do it. Okay? What's in your heart? It's free will. If your heart is moved, bring an offering to the Lord. I love you. you, you know, I know you remember it. The Exodus uh, 30, chapter 35 and 36 account the people were bringing too much stuff. You remember that? And Moses had to restrain them. Don't you love that? I love this. One of my favorite texts in all the Bible about giving. They had to be restrained. And one day I want to stand up here and say, don't bring any more. we got too much money. I've always wanted to do that. <laughs> so. But isn't it awesome? Isn't it awesome? The people just brought, they just kept bringing it was because their heart was moved. You read, you read Exodus 35 and 36, you kept seeing it over and over. They, they were stirred. They were moved. They were willing. They were, yeah, they were stirred. <laughs> they were moved. They couldn't, as we talked about last week, they could not not bring an offering worthy to this awesome God. And so they brought more than was required. It made me think of 1 Chronicles 29 where, when Israel prepared to build the temple. And it said the people gave willingly with a whole heart. I was doing some research this week. The gold and silver that was uh, given there to prepare for the temple, it's unbelievable. At today's terms, it's $5.5 billion. This is what came in uh, from the Jewish nation to build the temple. So we see two kinds of Old Testament giving. Required giving, the tithes, and free will giving. Giving to God from your heart. Okay, how about Jesus and the church age? What do we learn from looking in the New Testament? In summary fashion, I would say to you that the New Testament is the same as the Old Testament. Pay your taxes and give to God from your heart. It's really the same. I understand that some of you may not agree with me on this. That's okay. That's okay. I, uh, while I believe the Scripture is, is clear 
That God's calling us past the tithe in the New Testament. I think He's calling us way past the tithe. He's setting us free from the law. We're not constrained by law. We're not compelled by law. We're constrained by our love for Jesus Christ. We're constrained by the overflow of worship in our hearts that we would bring an offer, an offering worthy to this great God. We believe it when He says that to, to sow bountifully is to reap bountifully. Every time I study this, I told you last week, I end up giving more money. I realize it's my great privilege to give more. And, 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 and I, I, I do, I have a sense of urgency about this. I told you last week, I revisit this multiple times a year. I don't just say, well, I'm giving this percentage this year, that's it. I, that's not how it is with me. I'm always thinking about it. It's always on my mind. I'm not talking about it in a burden, but I'm thinking, how can we do more? How can Karen and I do more? This is how, this is how we think. This is how we talk. Because you, you read these great promises in the Bible and you go, man, I want to get in on that. Right? I want to get in on the pressed down thing. The running over thing. Into your lap thing. For by your standard, what? What does the Bible say? For by your standard it shall be measured back to you. And beloved, it's true. We're just, we're just supposed to be a channel. And God just, God just wants to flush blessing and resources through our lives into the church and into those who are in need. Quickly, Jesus says, what did He say about taxes? He, you know, they asked Him about paying the temple tax and He said, Peter, go get a fish. Go catch that first fish. There's going to be my tax money's in His mouth. You know, Peter said, uh, Jesus told Peter, said, I'm really exempt. I'm the king. The king doesn't pay taxes. But so we don't give offense. You go catch that first fish. You, you check him out. He'll have, he'll have uh, two drachmas in his mouth or a stator or a shekel and you go pay my tax and you go pay your tax. So he believed in paying Jewish tax. We also know that the Pharisees tried to trap him into a question about Roman tax. And what did Jesus say? Render unto Caesar that which is Caesar's. So Jesus put his stamp of approval on us paying our taxes. If we look at Romans uh, chapter 13, we realize that God has called us to be subject to the governing authorities. This is very, very clear. They are established by God and we are to be subject to them. Paul says, therefore, he who resists authority has opposed the ordinance of God. Man, that's a serious passage, right? Serious passage maybe to share with our children even. Because you are the authority figure in the family. Therefore, whoever resists authority is opposing God. Is opposing the word of God. And then Paul goes on to say about human government. Again, Romans verse, uh, pardon me, chapter thirteen is a minister of God to uh, to you for good. The government is a minister of God to you for good. For because of this, you also pay taxes. For rulers are servants of God. Render to all uh, what is due them. Tax to whom taxes due, and custom to whom custom is due. Christian, pay your taxes. This is. The Word of God. So, just as the Old Testament Jew was commanded by God to bring in three tithes and to bring in uh, to support the, the, the God-ordained theocracy in the New Testament, Christians are commanded by God to pay their taxes to support the God-ordained secular government. In my mind, the parallel is very clear here uh, between these two Old Testament and New Testament truths. Now let's look at the word tithe in the New Testament. How many of you know how many times the word tithe appears in the New Testament? It's only a couple of times. In the Gospel it appears 
a couple of times when Jesus is condemning the Pharisees because of their self-righteousness and self-justification because they're tithing their mint and cumin, but they're neglecting the weightier matters of God. You remember? So the only time Jesus talks about the tithe is when He's condemning these guys, these Pharisees, for finding their self-righteousness and their self-justification in it. Luke 11.42 is telling, I think, Jesus says, Woe to you, you Pharisees who paid the tithe, yet disregard the love of God. Beloved, we've said it a million times in here, God hates brain-dead, heart-dead religion. If you're just giving a tithe, but it doesn't mean anything to you, it doesn't move your soul, you don't just delight in the fact that you have the privilege to bring a tithe to this awesome God, I say to you, stop giving to Him. In one sense, we blaspheme Him when we give to Him in some lackadaisical way. It is worship, beloved. It is worship to give to this awesome God. And I promise you, unfailing treasures in heaven, I promise you that on, on the authority of the Word of Jesus Christ. Man, you should be... I was reading, I think it was John MacArthur this week. Man, we ought to just can't wait till we get to church to bring an offering to this God who has saved me like He has. You know, Paul tells the Corinthians, you, you set aside some every week Every week set something aside and bring it to the Lord, right? And man, I, I, we, we, sh we shouldn't be able to wait till Sunday and bring an offering worthy. An offering worthy of this unbelievable God who has saved us in this most remarkable way. Jesus says, Woe to you Pharisees! You've got your calculator out, but you disregard the love of God. This is one of the, this is one of the problems I see in tithing. It becomes mechanical. And it means nothing. It's mechanical. And I also see that, that it creates the self-righteousness. You know why I know that's true? Because I dealt with this as a Christian in, in, uh, early on in my life. I was just so proud, man. I was tithing. I was just, man, I was so proud of myself. Had my chest out. I know God is glad I'm on His team, right? Because I'm a tither. And uh, that's how I felt about it. This doesn't honor the Lord. And, you know, you might as well not even give if you're going to act like that. It certainly doesn't please the Lord. The other time that the, the Bible mentions the word tithe, it's in Hebrews chapter 7. It's not about money. It's not really talking uh, about giving. It's just talking about the, um, the superiority of Christ's priesthood over that of the Levitical priesthood. Beloved, I want to say to you, you know, you can give without loving. You can give without loving, but you cannot love without giving. This is what God is after in the believer. This is what God is after in the believer. There are no other New Testament references to the tithe. Ne never is the, the tithe used in reference to the church. Never. It's never used in reference to the church. God's pattern for giving has never been tithing. This again, this is my position. If you want to disagree with me, that's fine. We'll be happy to receive your tithe. It's, not, it's, it's, it's fine. If that's, if that's where you believe you are and that's what you believe God's Word teaches, then you should do that. I'm simply submitting this to your, for your consideration because I, in the seven years I've been here, I've seen much confusion on this. And I always get these questions about the tithe. God's pattern for giving has always been the same. In the Old Testament, pay your taxes and bring a free will offering to God. In the New Testament, 
pay your taxes, bring a free will offering to God. Again, I'm not against tithing. It's a beautiful thing. I just don't believe the Bible uh, teaches it for the New Testament church. That's my position. Again, you're welcome to disagree with me on that. I just believe the Bible makes a pretty strong case about this. In my view, Exodus 35, 4 and 5, the people uh, bring in a, a, an offering from a willing heart. That's biblical giving. The New Testament, 2 Corinthians 9, 7, the text I read earlier, let each one do just as he has purposed in his heart, not grudgingly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. This is God's command with regard to giving. Open-hearted, free will giving. We're not under law, beloved. We're not under law. We're not to be under constraint. We're to bring a free will offering to God. It's kind of like Mueller's seamstress. You couldn't stop her, man. He tried to stop her. How many of you have ever been tried? How many, how many times has anyone ever tried to stop you from giving? I mean, you know, you might say, well, okay, I'll just take it and go back. But, I mean, this lady could not be stopped. She would not be stopped. Mueller was making all the arguments. You're poor. You're old. You're a widow. You should keep this money. No, she says. I'll give it to Jesus. Beloved, this is New Testament. <laughs> really, it's biblical. It's Old Testament and New Testament. We're not to give under compulsion. We're not to be modern-day Pharisees seeking to justify ourselves by keeping the law. You remember I told you that story last week? Some of you weren't here, but it's about, about Edmund who sold his horse and uh, uh, brought a $13 offering to the church, which was like, a year's wages or something in Haiti. I can't remember now what it was. Uh, but it was in my notes last week and I was looking at my notes and I didn't say it to you. But I want to say it to you now. He didn't have a shirt to go to church, but he sold his horse so he could give a love offering to God. You think he ever regretted it? You think when he stands in front of Jesus, he's going to be thinking, I wish I'd have kept that horse. Think, you think he's going to be thinking about that? Beloved, God says, test me in this. Test me. And see if I will not bless you. If I will not open the, the windows of heaven and bless you as you honor me in your finances. So there are two real dangers I see in the church regarding law-keeping or, or tithing in a, in a law-keeping sense. One is that we become pharisaical and legalistic and proud and self-righteous. Again, I would own that for myself in my earlier days. But there's a larger point that I want to make sure you understand. This is the one I think is, is uh, a serious problem in the modern church, at least where I come from. And I'll just use John MacArthur's words. This is what he says. Here's the big problem. Tithing in the church often hinders what you could do by making you think that you're done. I used to think I was done. Well, I did my 10%. I know God's proud. I was beating my spiritual chest. Beloved, we're never done. Don't ever be done with God. Don't ever be done with God. It's an awesome privilege to be a radical giver. 
And, and so when people talk to me about these things, I say, I always come back to the same thing. I always say, you give as much as you dare to give. You give as much as you dare to give. As big as your faith is. As big as your love is. As big as your worship is. And God says, I will bless you. I will bless you. I told you last week, I quoted, uh, I quoted Randy Alcorn. You know, he said, it's really stupid when you take into account all the promises of God not to be radical givers. And so what I want to challenge you to do is I challenge myself to be less stupid uh, in the future. I'm going to be less stupid. Um, I'm going to find a way to, do, to, to give more. Because I know it pleases God. And you know what? You know what else happens? You, know, you guys know this. You feel the pleasure of God. You know, when you get into that place where it's, when you're starting to crack into faith and you're giving by faith, um, it's a beautiful thing. You feel the pleasure of God in your heart. So I want to be less stupid in the coming months. And I want to be open-handed with the Lord. And I told you last week, I told you last week, that you should never be done with God. You should never be done with giving to Him. So as bountifully as you dare, beloved. I like the way John Piper says it, and I'm finished. In authentic love and worship, calculation vanishes. In authentic love and worship, calculation vanishes. So next time you prepare your offering, you don't need a calculator. Just leave the calculator. You don't need your calculator. Right? You don't need your calculator. You don't need that. So I just want to ask you as I close, how much is the Christian commanded to give? Whatever's in your heart, beloved. Whatever's in your heart. That's what delights the Lord. That's what pleases the Lord. So let me ask you as I close, what's in your heart? <laughs> what's in there? What's in there? What's in your heart? How much do you love Jesus? How much do you worship Him in your heart? And how much giving is there in your heart? Now this I say, He who sows sparingly shall also reap sparingly. And he who sows bountifully shall also reap bountifully. Let each one do just as he has purposed in his heart, not grudgingly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. Actually, the Greek there is hilarious. God loves a hilarious giver. Verse 8, And God is able to make all grace abound to you, that always having all sufficiency in everything, you may have an abundance for every good deed. This is the Word of God. Beloved, we're going to come to the table tonight and uh, worship the Lord in uh, how He has saved us. We're going to remember the cross, how we do it here. Everybody's Welcome to partake. We have open communion. Everyone who has professed faith in Christ and followed Him in believers' baptism, you're welcome to partake here. I, I challenge you uh, to confess your sin. Repent from it. Uh, before you come to the table, Paul admonishes the Corinthians not to come to the table in an unworthy manner, a flippant manner, a ritualistic manner, a legalistic manner. You come worshiping Christ and remembering this great thing He's done. So what we'll do is Kelvin will play a song. Take four or five minutes. You prepare your heart during that time. And during the song, when you're ready, come up and...
take uh, the cup and take the bread, go back to your seat. After the song is complete, I'll stand and read a text, and then we will celebrate uh, the elements together at that time.